of learning about the ways in which we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection and his ascension today by continuing their conversation about the power of God's ascension. So as we open God's word, uh, will you uh, bow your heads in a moment of prayer with me? Worthy are you, our Lamb, to receive all glory, all honor, all praise. And worthy are you to receive much more than our hearts can offer to you. But we open our hearts now to receive from you your grace, your spirit, your majesty, your divinity. We open our hearts to receive you, Jesus, through these, the words of your book and your your plan. May our, our may our eyes see, may our ears hear, may our hearts receive whatever it is, Lord, you want to give to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We continue to be mastered by the word by listening again to the words of Colossians chapter 3. So if you have one of the green Bibles, You'll be turning to the second set of page numbers to page 156. I found crumbs in my Bible. That's right. The word of the Lord is good for all things. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self and its practices, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We continue to explore the first four verses and what they mean about us being united and how that shapes this new self and this new life with Christ today by continuing what we started last week on the Ascension. So I invite you to pull out your worship folder inserts with the Heidelberg Catechism question and answers on it. And for those of you who haven't been here, the Heidelberg Catechism is one of the documents in our church tradition and history that we use. It's a summary of biblical teaching and and themes. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't cover everything that's in Scripture, but it covers a lot of stuff. And it helps us to understand and shows us where to look in Scripture if we want to learn more about certain things. So we're going to we're going to dive right in and look at question and answer 47. Because Christ is physically that's, that's me, right? Sorry. Uh, Christ is physically, I also, I had a back spasm this week, so I'm trying not to move. So I'm going to hold the Bible instead of using my arms. Okay. Christ is physically ascended. It's hard to talk about going up and not going up with your arm. Christ is physically ascended, which means he is not here on earth anymore. But we know that we have Christ with us and in us. Do I need to take my scarf off maybe? I get, there we go. So, and Christ promised when he went up in, in Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? So how do we put these two things together? That Christ is no longer physically on earth, but he promised to be with us. How do we put these things together? So that's question and answer 47. Isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is truly human and truly God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, his majesty, grace, and spirit. He is not absent from us for a moment. So Jesus' divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit are always with us. Have you ever heard anybody talk or describe a thin place to you? A thin place where heaven and earth seem so close to each other? For some, uh, the Iona community in Scotland is considered a thin place where God's glory and majesty and divinity and spirit and grace are just so real that you taste it, that you feel it. Even if you yourself have never used the term thin place, you probably have had a moment where this has been so palpable that you feel as though a piece of the throne room of God has swallowed you up and surrounded you. Where you know that you are in God's presence. Where you can see God at work in the situation around you. 
That's a thin place where you see these gifts of God and you cannot deny them. And you get caught up in the mystery that is and the beauty that is and you're in awe of God in that moment. A thin place. Just reading this last week a a memoir of a woman who met God underneath. She's Episcopalian and she met God underneath the altar table and covered in its vestments. And in the darkness and the mystery that is the church sanctuary, she felt God with her in a way that could not be denied. Phyllis Tickle in another in her spiritual memoir talks about how standing in the mold, in the or hiding in the bushes and seeing the world happen around her and seeing all of the people who had God's presence with them was a thin place, a place where heaven and earth are together at least a little bit, at least partially, where we know that already and the not yet. Because God gives us his Holy Spirit that is always with us. The advocate and the comforter that's present here with us, the advocate and the comforter that builds the church of Christ, that unites us across time and place and equips us for Christ's presence, who gives us Christ's presence. Because Christ is multiplied through the work of the Holy Spirit here on earth. I'm going to read to you from Barbara Brown Taylor. She's a pastor on a sermon that she did about the Ascension and how because, like we talked about last week, because Jesus has ascended, we get to know the Holy Spirit in a deeper more powerful way because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it from Jesus being just in one human body to being present everywhere. And so she's describing why the disciples were so joyful to be losing the Savior and the ascension. Why they were so joyful to have Jesus be ascending up. And she says, better the disciples should look around instead of instead than up for Jesus. They should be looking at each other, at the world, at the ordinary people and their ordinary lives, because that was where they were most likely to find him now. Not the, not the way that they used to know him, but the new way. Not in his own body, but in their bodies. The risen, ascended Lord was no longer anywhere on earth so that he could be everywhere instead. Nowhere, any, no longer anywhere on earth so that he could be everywhere instead. That is the mystery and the good that is the ascension for us. And it is the Holy Spirit who makes Christ present everywhere instead. So we also know God's grace now. That God's grace applied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit and grace is defined as undeserved blessing, favor, and mercy. And if that is not a picture of what we have heard described over the last three weeks of what Jesus does for us, I do not know what is. So I'm not going to go too much further into that one. But to say that even now, as the ascended Lord in heaven, Jesus guarantees those gifts of grace for us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives them to us.
And we know God's majesty now. Majesty, that word that describes dignity, authority, and power. And when I try to imagine majesty, it's something that you see, right? It's something that you feel. It's something that you know when you're in its presence, even if you can't necessarily describe it. And so when I think about Jesus' majesty, I think about that picture in Revelation of how there is no need for a sun in the new heaven and new earth because Jesus shines so brightly. And I picture Jesus shining so brightly that he fills the throne room with his presence. And when I think about the new self, that we are clothed with here on earth, I think about a little bit of that thin place becoming me and you. As we live with kindness and compassion and humility and patience, we become the thin place of God's majesty. As we are renewed in knowledge according to the image of our Creator, Jesus. And we shine His majesty here on earth. And so we become agents of God's presence here in how we live our life. And so we seek the things that are above so that we can reflect this beautiful presence of Jesus here. Isn't that neat? Yeah, okay, good. So last week we started a discussion about why this is good for us. Because that's Jesus and, and the, the Trinity, really. All of, all of the Trinity. God the Father who created us. Jesus through whom we are created and saved and welcomed into heaven. The Holy Spirit who is God with us now. All of them work for our good, right? And so when we look at question and answer 50 on the back side... And 51, we see what that means, why this is for our good. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but maybe you've caught on that this, the question and answers that have the words that describe this, like why is question and answer 50 is seated at the right hand of God, all of those phrases that the catechism is explaining come from the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement of faith about the basics of Christian belief. And so basically... Well, I'm going to stop that sentence instead. We're going to go, we're just going to read it instead. Why the next words and is seated at the right hand of God? The answer is that Christ descended to heaven there to, sh- to show that he is head of his church and that the Father rules all things through him. And how does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out his gifts from heaven upon all his members. And second, by his power, he defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. So it's for our good that the head of the church is in heaven, so that he will pour out his gifts to his servants and members of his body. And it is for our good that God the Father has decided to rule all things through the Prince of Peace, that is Jesus, who defends and keeps us safe. By his power. But what does that look like? Well, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation 5. 
And if you have one of the, if you have your Bible and don't quite know where that is, go to the very last book of the Bible and then look for the big number five. And this is describing the picture that is in the throne room of heaven. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And that scroll represents God's plan for the world. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe. That's what he's told to look at. But what does John see? Verse 6. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So there is the lion and the lamb with the Holy Spirit that's sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are full of the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered. And by your blood, you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And again, this is the word of the Lord. The lion and the lamb, that is Jesus, is the only one who is worthy to open the scrolls and to have all power and authority over the world. The only one who has the power and the authority to rule over all things. And to be entrusted with the task of defending God's kingdom and keeping it safe. And what's required to fit the imagery is one who has ascended and has all things under his feet. So this is a new thing for me this week uh, that's 
kind of that I didn't realize before, but it's the image of having all things under his feet that's present throughout Scripture, especially in the Psalms and the kingly Psalms, as well as in history. So Josie's going to put up a picture for us. And this picture is in, is in Egypt, and it's a pathway. And Can we get the lights turned down maybe for a second? And it's a pathway that leads to a temple for a king. And so these statues are just one of the ones that are left, but it was a significantly long pathway. And those statues are of the king that the temple is for, and he had them built. Now, do you see the little, the little guy standing by the statue there? Well, he's not a little guy. He's a big Dutch guy. He's like 6'3". But where is he? He's under the feet of the statue of the king. So that when you walked down this hallway here, you realized and recognized that you were under the feet of the one with authority over you. So that's Egypt. But what about in the time and place where Jesus was? Go to the next picture, Josie. This is the temple, sorry, not the temple, this is the palace of Herod, where the palace of Herod was built. This mountain was made for this palace, so that the king would be higher than the people whom he ruled over. So do you get the picture there? So this is, the, this is at the time of Jesus that this was built, okay? That's, that's good, Josie, thank you. And what were the Jews waiting for with Jesus? They were waiting for a political Messiah, right? They were waiting for someone who would overcome and overthrow their Roman powers that served and ruled over them. That's what they were waiting for. And Jesus confounded them because he instead showed them a way of living and talked about a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of God that was made through this different way of living. Not through war, but through peace. And then here we have the ascension, which turns out to be a political statement. Because as Christ ascends into heaven, everything in all creation is put under his feet. And the promise of that authority and that rule is made real by the one who is worthy to open the scrolls of heaven and God's plan. So here is the political Messiah that they have all been waiting for. Here is the promise of the rule and the overthrowing and the establishment of a new kingdom. Here is the place where they are joyous instead of having fear, because this is the victory of God over the rule of sin and the rule of evil. And all things are put under his feet. And we are united with Christ in that reign. Look again at verse 10 of Revelation 5. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, And they will reign on earth. We reign as kingdom of priests of the new kingdom of God. The new self clothed 
with compassion and kindness and humility and patience. We strip off all the marks of the old kingdom and we clothe ourselves with the kingdom of Christ so that our lives become the thin place that the Holy Spirit uses to shine Jesus' majesty, divinity, glory, and grace and spirit in this world. We are united with Christ in his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And we go to that throne room with confidence that our God is there, welcoming us into heaven, guaranteeing our presence with God, guaranteeing and administering our full pardon for the forgiveness of our sins, interceding on our behalf, giving us all that we need in this life, living that truth. And so we approach the throne room with confidence and we add together into the bowl of incense that is the prayers of God's people. And so before we go today, we're going to spend some time uh, in prayer where you can bring whatever you want to bring to the kingdom of God, to his throne. Uh, I invite you to make sure you take some of that time for confession because confession, again, is one of those things that we do of stripping off that old self so that God can clothe us with the new self. But I also invite you to spend time in giving God glory and honor and praise. And then we're going to spend time echoing the worship that is in the praise in the room, in the throne room of God, by singing these hymns that the elders and all the people who are gathered there are singing. So will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Wondrous God, who set suns and moons above us, mountains and valleys below us, and friends and strangers among us, how often have we tried to hide from your presence? How seldom have we looked for your creating face and your fashioning hand. But we give ourselves to you now by taking the time to confess to you and strip off the old self and its practices. And so in our silence, Lord, we offer our hearts in prayer of confession. Wondrous God, who took upon yourself flesh of our flesh and Jesus our brother, 
and being found in human form, made the ultimate disclosure of yourself in the face of Jesus Christ. How often we have forgotten you. How seldom have we really loved and followed you. But now, Lord, we offer in the silence the commitment of our hearts to see you in others, to see you in ourselves, and to commit our lives to shining as a thin place for your kingdom. Wondrous God, who pours out freely the Holy Spirit, how often have we ignored your promptings, how seldom have we asked for your help or accepted your gifts. But Holy Spirit, we know that you are still the God who is our comforter and our advocate. And so we lay before you now and give over to you the cares and the the worries and the weight that are weighing on our hearts and our minds. May we be people, Lord Jesus, who, for, who never forget, who never forget or take for granted, though I know we will. And so I thank you again for forgiving us. But may we become more and more aware and grateful that we are always welcome in your throne room. That even when we have reason to want to hide from you, you welcome us with open arms. That you forgive us that you are willing to mold us and shape us and make us into new creatures and that there is no fear of condemnation, but only a stripping away of the things that do not belong. And so may our lives become thin places of your kingdom so that when the new heaven and new earth is established, we'll, we'll know it because we'll have experienced parts of it already. May your glory, Lord Jesus, shine and seep out. And may we not shut the door to it, but may we open our lives to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. The one who testifies to all of these things says, truly, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with all of his saints, now and forever.
Amen. If you would like to spend time in prayer after the service, there will be people here at the front who will pray with you. And we're going to be a little bit like Reepicheep. He's my favorite C.S. Lewis character. Reepicheep who just wants to go further up and further in into heaven and the kingdom of God. And it shapes everything that he does in his life. All of his protection of the people whom God cares for and his own devotion and his own plan of where he wants to end up. So let us go further up and further in by worshiping God together.